This past weekend, we were leading up to this past weekend, we were uh, Julie and I were talking about uh, desire to go see uh, a play at the Progress uh, Center, the uh, Screw Tape Letters, uh, C.S. Lewis's Screw Tape Letters that was being presented there this past weekend. There's a book I'd read some time ago, and it's, and it's very good. Uh, Diagnosis and spiritual life and um, dealing with the the enemy and um, so we had heard good things about it and thought well this would be this would be great you know we could see this and maybe it'll help us uh, edify us spiritually perhaps you know and just having these these thoughts and and plus it's you know a good opportunity for us to get away and do something and so we, I was online uh, with this desire in mind and trying to get some tickets so the way it works is you you look for uh, the best seats possible with whatever's left, thinking, well, there can't be much left. And and so it came up, um, I think it was really good seats, orchestra sitting, something like that. And uh, I looked at the price, $98 uh, a person. Um, it's, it's amazing uh, when you put dollars, what you really believe. <laughs> you know? I mean... <laughs> We say we believe a lot, but then when the dollars come, no, I don't really, yeah, you know, ninety-eight dollars. I'm sure it's good, but I don't believe it's that good, you know, uh, because then I'm, I'm making a trade for something. I'm, I'm thinking, all right, ninety-eight dollars spent toward this means I can't do this, and 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 so it really starts fleshing out what we believe when we start talking about money, uh, doesn't it? That's why it's always interesting this time of year. Roll out the budget. <laughs> And uh, let's, all right, what do we believe? Well, it's about, it's about to all fly up to the top, what we believe. Um, and so, you know, this, just, this is how it works. In fact, uh, Richard Halverson was the chaplain of the U.S. Senate. Um, he made this quote. He said, Jesus Christ said more about money than about any other single thing. Because when it comes to a man's real nature, money is of first importance. Money is an exact index to a man's true character. All through scripture, there is an intimate correlation between the development of man's character and how he handles our money. It reveals what our hearts are doing with God, doesn't it? It reveals what we believe about God. What our hands do with the money is only a reflection of what our heart is doing with God. Uh, and so is it any wonder when Jesus said, don't, don't invest in things on this earth. Lay up your treasure in heaven for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It reveals who we are, and what we believe. In fact, uh, Luke twelve fifteen, 15, uh, Jesus was confronted uh, about an issue of inheritance. It's always fun, inheritance time, isn't it? Because it really comes out what people believe at that point in time. That's why it's such a tense uh, time. And so uh, they come to Jesus and say, can you settle this thing between me and my siblings about inheritance? And she said, why? I don't, what do I have to do with that? And then he goes on and says in verse 15, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And so the question that's begged to ask, well, what does it consist of then? If it's not money, because we spend a lot of our time in money. The thing is, is there's one more goal past money. Uh, it's, it's, it's something beyond that and that Jesus is getting into. In fact, he said later on in John chapter 17, he says, this is eternal life. You want to know what life is about? You want to know what eternal life is about? It's about this. True life, Jesus said to his Father in heaven, is that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you, you, you sent. 
You want to know what life is about? You want to know what life is? It's not the abundance of things, but it's the abundance of your relationship with God. That is eternal life, all right? So that, uh, that, share, that scripture that Mike was sharing with us, uh, Jesus, who was wealthy, became poor. How was he wealthy? Yes, he created all things and, and everything was uh, available, accessible to him. But he was wealthy in his relationship with God and the access before God the Father, but made himself poor at the moment on the cross when he said, it is finished and God forsake him. He became poor that we might become rich. What does that mean? So that we can have a lot of good stuff, materials. No, rich is knowing God, having that right relationship with him. And so it goes back to John 17. So what we do with our money shows where we believe, where we believe that life, joy, love, hope, and security, and meaning, and freedom is found. So um, he, he puts upon us, he says, just as I've given to you, I want you to be a giver in life. If you're going to follow me, I want you to be a generous person. And that's what we looked at last, um, last Sunday. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, using the example of the Macedonians, and, and he is using their example to, uh, to pride and provoke uh, the church of Corinth, who had already excitedly started giving, but now because of some of the rebukes that Paul has been given, he's kind of concerned, are they still excited about this? And so he sends uh, one alongside who will help him collect, uh, who will go toward the poor uh, people who are dealing with famine, dealing with persecution in Jerusalem. I think it's just interesting that when there is a need in the church, that Paul's strategy is giving. What does that say? His strategy is giving, not other devices which churches often use to make money. He says, I want it to be about giving because this is what glorifies God. And so he explains how it glorifies God. So uh, we're going to go to chapter 9 this morning. Uh, we, we skipped through verses 16 through 24, which in a nutshell is Titus is coming and I approve of him. Um, we'll spend more time someday when we study Second Second Corinthians in, in general or in specific. Uh, but... Throughout the New Testament, Paul instructs the church to give for three specific purposes. Uh, we see that he gives them instruction to give to take care of the poor. Uh, we see this in Romans 15, verse 25 through 26. Um, we see this again in this text. The second thing he commends the church to do is he wants them to give to support missionaries. Uh, we see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7 through 14. And then he wants them to give to support the ministries of the local church. We see this in 1 Timothy 5.18. And so looking at those examples, that should still very much be what our church is about. Uh, about sending missionaries, supporting the ministries of the local church as we become ambassadors of Christ here, as well as taking care of the poor. Now, uh, if you will uh, read with me, we'll go with 2 Corinthians 9 verses 1. I think... Uh, we'll try to get through verses uh, 10, and maybe the Lord will allow us to do that. So let's stand as, as we read together. Now, it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. For I know your readiness, of which I boast about you, to the people of Macedonia saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready, 
as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you're not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exactation. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You may be seated. So I want to talk about grace giving and why it is, according to this passage, it works. All right. Why does grace giving work? The idea that it's not our accounts that forms the basis of what we give, but what God has given to us is the basis of what we give. That's how we determine the factor, uh, determine those, those amounts. Uh, well, how does that work? And why does it work? Well, we find that it really starts coming to us, uh, to that question at verse 6. He says, verses 1 through 5, I want you to do like you said you would do. Let's not be an embarrassment. Let's, let's be true. And so, verse 6, here's, here's why. Here's how it's going to happen. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sounds bountifully will also reap bountifully. Uh, and so, the first reason I would tell you why grace-giving works is that grace-giving works because of God's principle of production. Uh, this idea of sowing sparingly. What does that mean to be sparing? It's the idea that I'm going to give... <clears throat> but I don't really want to give. The focus is not on what I can give. The focus is really, how much can I keep? That's, that's how we approach it. That's how we deal with it. And so when it leaves our hands, it's like we're having to pry our fingers apart a little bit, you know? Just, uh, okay. At least I've got this much. And so that's the focus, is that sparing. And the emphasis is not on what you give, but on what you keep. Whereas bountiful, the idea, the focus is on what you can give. It's, it's, it's like when you see what comes in, you, the question you ask yourself is, how much of this can we give now? How much? That's the focus. Let's, let's look at putting this out there. <coughs> it's, it's a bountiful idea. But he uses agriculture as his, his metaphor. Um, the idea of taking the seed... Putting it into the ground. <laughs> Have you thought about that? Take a seed and put it in the ground. And then let's just watch what happens. For those of you who've worked in gardens and farms, you get a good idea of God's working in hand in this. It's, just, it's a miracle, it seems, every time. that in this little seed is the energy and the power with the right ingredients to produce so much. This is the metaphor that Jesus himself had in John chapter 12, verse 24. If you'll just put your finger in 2 Corinthians, we're going to go right back to it, but it's worth turning to John chapter 12, verse 24. Uh, Jesus is about to die on the cross. I mean, he's is, is going that direction. He's already in Jerusalem now. The triumphal entry has passed, and, and some Greeks come up to Jesus. These are non-Jews. Uh, these are the foreigners of the day. This is you. This is me. Uh, our four 
forebears, if you will, they would go before Jesus uh, at this time, and they approach Philip, one of the followers, and say, hey, can you get us in touch with Jesus? We really want to talk to him. We, we want to see him. And then, verse 23, Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. That's kind of a weird response for someone wanting to see you, isn't it? <laughs> you know, someone says, wanted to meet you. Well, I'll tell you what. Let's let the seed die first. All right? Until the seed dies, nothing's going to happen. What are you talking about, man? I was thinking maybe Tuesday, you know? No, he, he, he talks about something even more. He says, I know what you want. You're wanting to see me, but listen, the door isn't open yet. It requires a death. And he says, and when this seed dies, then life's going to come. Fruit is going to come. And so he goes on in verse 25, and he, and he says, Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in the world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there will be my servant also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. All right, well, let's talk about this metaphor here. Seeds, uh, especially potato seeds. And if you've gone through a famine or people have gone through famine, the idea is you take your potatoes, you take your seed potatoes, and instead of eating them, you stick them in the ground. Now, that seems, okay, no big deal, unless you don't have much food. The only food you got may be those seed potatoes. Do you understand what faith you're doing by taking those potatoes that you could eat and feed your kids with today and sticking them in the ground with the hopes that God will work through this and produce tenfold? Now, what if we took our seeds, whether it's potatoes or corn or other seeds, and we said, you know, this is just a precious seed. Uh, I love this seed. I mean, is it, I, you know what? Let's get a little, let's get a, uh, let's put this in a scrapbook. You know, let's put some plastic over this deal. Because all the things that are really dear to me, I put in the scrapbook. And, and everybody comes in, I, I, I show up, how you like my seed? Well, why do you like your seed? Well, from the seed, I can, I can feed hundreds of people. From the seed can be hundredfolds. From the seed can come corn. Isn't that amazing? Yes. Take it out of the plastic and put it in the ground. But it'll, it'll destroy. It'll rot. It'll just, it'll get ugly. Listen, the value of it comes not from treasuring it, but by giving it up and putting it in the ground and watching how God unleashes the power uh, that's within that seed. So Jesus says, that's how I am. That's how I am. Put me in the ground. Let me die on the cross. Let me obey God the Father and watch what happens. You Gentiles want to see me? First, let the power that is within me, the gospel, be unleashed by my death, by the resurrection. So when I say it's finished, God can now say, yes, it's done. There is grounds for the Gentiles to come. And now they can be rich by having a relationship with God. But you notice what he's saying here. He's not just talking about himself anymore. Verse 25, whoever, whoever loses his life, whoever loves his life, loses it. Whoever hates his life from this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. 
part of the heart of generosity is the belief that when God saved me by His grace, I died to myself. Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not, not I. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. What does that mean? That all my hopes for the future, all the things that have been coming into my hands, they're... My desire to control them is dead. And by losing my life, many people come to glorify God. And this has just hit me hard. You know, it's when you go overseas and I mean, just the dangers and stuff that can occur. Here's, here's the fact of the matter. When I followed Christ, I had no way and no right to demand, Christ, make sure that you let me live, to be married, to have kids, maybe even four kids. And, and God, I demand of you, help me to live my life with them. And may I see them get married and have kids. And maybe, God, I can grow old with my wife. And maybe things can be comfortable in my life. And maybe that everything, all my needs will be met in my retirement years and these years that come. I have no right to say that. And so when I gave my life to follow Christ, when you give your life to follow Christ, it is to say, God, if it's so, put me in a ground if it brings other people to know you. Just like Jesus said right before he went to the cross. He says, I'm about, to, I'm about to be put in the ground. But if anyone wants to follow me, if anyone wants to love their life, they're going to learn how to lose it. Because it's not by the abundance of stuff that life is found. You get that? That's the big time metaphor of what it means to follow Christ. And that's why, if you're praying for me for this week and Mike and others, here's what I want you to pray for. I want you to pray that I hold on to Christ. That I treasure him. I treasure him more than anything else. Because it doesn't really matter whether you're in the Middle East, whether you're in East Asia, South America, in North America, I have found that it's just as difficult to treasure Christ here as it is anywhere else in the world. And what I need the most is to hold on to Christ. And if holding on to Christ means that I have to go somewhere where it's difficult, where I treasure him more than to be here and be distracted and lose Christ... Wow, that's a bad trade. It's a bad trade. I'm getting off a little bit here, but let's take this idea now and go to 2 Corinthians 9 again. If all of our life is given to Him, we've given ourselves to Christ because Christ has given Himself to us. He Himself died on the cross for us. Then giving of our resources is just being consistent. Just being consistent. So, grace giving works because of God's principle of production. The fact of the matter is, is that when you're with God, when there's subtraction in your life, it actually becomes addition. That doesn't make sense to us, does it? I mean, you know, 10 minus 1 is always 9, um, unless you factor in God. 10 minus 1 becomes something that matters for eternity. Okay? That's, that's the idea here. The principle of production is given to us in agriculture, we see it work, and then the idea is take that same production cycle of agriculture, understand that by giving things is how we live life. It is how God works. 
The idea is that a bell, you can't enjoy a bell until you ring it. You can't enjoy a song until you sing it. You cannot enjoy the joy until you share it. You cannot enjoy fully love until you give it. And you cannot enjoy wealth until you circulate it. Until you give it. Grace giving works because of God's principle of production. If you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. You reap what you sow. You reap more than you sow, and you reap later than you sow. You get that? Simple. You reap what you sow, you reap more than you sow, and you reap later than you sow. Any farmer will tell you that. You go out in the field, and you ask, where's the soybeans? I don't see any soybeans. The farmer will ask you, well, did you plant any soybeans? Oh, oh, I thought if you just had a land, you know, it happen. No, you've got to sow. And so if you look in your life and you're saying, you know, where's the grace of God? Where's the, where's the working of God? Where is it that I can look at my life and see God's hand at work? I'm going to ask you, are you sowing? Are you sowing? Are you letting it go? Now, read verse 7. Grace giving works because God loves it. <laughs> Grace giving works because God loves it. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You may have heard this. The idea of the word for cheerful is the word where we get hilarious from. Okay, It's not just, yeah, this makes me feel good. It, it is an extreme joy that will have an outward expression when something's hilarious. I mean... You know, you're crying, your face is red, you can't stop laughing. It's the idea that I can't stop expressing this, okay? And so that's the idea behind that. God loves that. Now, let me just say, you're giving here, and your heart is going to be largely determined by what you believe by God. Um, Why would I give something? If I give you uh, cake, coconut cake, and I say to you, please come to my house. I have coconut cake. And have fruitcake. And I want you to have as much as you want. <coughs> you think, well, that's generous. No. I don't like coconut. <laughs> and I don't really like fruitcake. So, I mean, there's that one motivation where, okay, you know, I don't, this is nothing that I really have to have, so I give it freely. So there's that one motivation of giving. There's a, a second motivation. Um, I say to you, come to our house. You want some honey? Get some honey. Take what you want. You say, well, do you not like honey either? No, I love honey. Well, why are you giving honey? Well, it just so happened that for many years, my dad was a beekeeper. And, you know, it produces a lot of honey. And honey doesn't go bad. And it was produced a lot more than we could eat. And so we've got more than our fair share of honey. So I give to you out of my abundance. All right? Give to you out of my abundance. Now, the third motivation for giving. What if I uh, give to my wife uh, and say, here, I want you to have this, this beautiful gold necklace. You'd say, well, Pastor, you have a lot of gold? <laughs> no. Well, you don't like gold? No, I like gold. Well, why? Well, I just love her. I want to express to her that I love her more than gold. When we're giving, and we're giving materials, it captures all three of those ideas. Let me share with you what I mean. I give money. You say, well, you don't like money? Yeah, you know, it's okay. But I realize that my life is not found out in abundance of things. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't do me any good. Like coconut cake isn't something I hope in. All right? 
So materials have lost its value. Well, you know, the second idea, I'm giving because I have an abundance. I believe in a bountiful God. I don't believe in a God who's a taker from me, who's trying to take all my joy, take all the bad from me. I believe in a God that is portrayed here, who is giving joy to me, giving to me the valuable things of life. And so I've got more than enough. You know what? If I give this to you, it's provided joy for me for a little while. But you know what? It's it's done its job. Let me just give it out freely because I know there's more coming. Thank you very much. And then the third idea of giving is that I love God. I love God more than this stuff. And so grace giving captures all three. So consequently, he says to you, don't give reluctantly. All right. Don't give under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver. It is someone who says this stuff, my life is no longer about this stuff anymore. And God's got more than enough stuff for me to survive well in this life. And I love God. And it's the idea of this is so important to me. I want to give. And when you want to give, God loves it. For God loves a cheerful giver. Hey, we, um, we were giving some stuff to my parents that got from uh, China. And um, they, uh, my daughters are caught the joy of giving. And the um, thing is, though, you know, when they come over, it's like the first thing I want to do. Daddy, daddy, can I give this? Can I give this? Oh, just wait, wait. You know, there's time for everything. You know, just hold on. And then finally, I was like, just, okay, look, I'll tell you. You know, I'll tell you when it's okay. Um, but they just wanted to be a part of it. And I love that, that they wanted to be a part of it. And so we as children before God, we get to be a part of what God is doing, and we get to give it. And as Paul said about Jesus, it is more blessed to give than to receive, to know the joy of that. And that's why I shared with you last week, your attitude matters in giving. It is better, it is better that you give $10 out of grace and out of cheerfulness, out of joy, out of, God, thank you for letting me give this $10, as opposed if you gave $100,000 because you felt some compulsion to do it, that maybe this would benefit you somehow, and besides, you're just feeling really guilty because the pastor's talking about it all the time. That's not worship. That's not worship. And then when something bad comes in your life and a job runs out, you're thinking, well, God, you know, when I gave you $100,000, what's the deal? you weren't paying God to make sure that he was treating you right. You were giving out of the grace that God has already given to you. And so, grace giving works because God loves it. Now, we keep on reading here. Go to uh, verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things... At all times, you may abound in every good work. All right, verse 8. You want to know what wealth is according to God? It's verse 8. That's what wealth is. It's not how much money you've got at your disposal. It's not how many nice quality goods that have your name on it. But according to God, this is wealth, is the grace abounding so that we have all sufficiency in all things at all times to abound in every good work. 
Do you count how many alls there are? I think I see four alls and then the word every. Do you get the idea? There's not a situation that is outside of what God's provision can take care of. You get that? Do you believe that? Like I said, it, you, you say what you believe by, by, what you're, by your money. Do you believe that God is capable to provide for you in every situation? That's certainly the idea here. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Now, what's this, this good work? Ephesians 2.10 reminds me about that, uh, that we were created for God's works in Christ Jesus, which he had prepared beforehand that we should walk in him, uh, walk in them. The good works. It's not just every good possible thing out there, but there's things that God is working in your life that He wants you to do, He wants you to work through and be a provider for to circulate that which God has given to you so that good things happen. God gets glory in that time. Green Pines, do we believe that God is able to make all grace abound to us so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, we may abound in every good work. I want to just make a clarifying statement. The budget is a goal. It's not God. Do you get that? The budget is not God. (laughs) That's important. It's important. So when we're looking at this and we're thinking, well, I don't know what ministers are going to be able to do because the money is not there. Well, where's the money come from? The money comes from the Lord. And so if there is a good work that God wants us to do, I am confident, based on what Scripture has to say, that God's going to provide all grace needed to do the work that God has put in front of us. That's what that means. It's as simple as that. You see, it, it works like a, a circulation. Yeah, It's important to have circulation. I, we have a, a koi pond. And there was a few days where I wasn't able to tend to it, and so the pump got uh, clogged up. And uh, I went out there, and one of the poor fish was just like on its last leg. I'm thinking, oh no, what you know? What was the problem? The water was stagnant. And so I got a little pine straw out, and bam, starts working again. And, <laughs> and then the fish was like stuck in the suction where the pond's at, and pumps at. Oh, this is. So I rescue the fish, and the fish is doing well now. It's in a good environment where there's circulation. Your life thrives not by hoarding, not by storing, but your life, the spiritual life that God has put in your life, thrives by giving, by being generous. We're FedEx folks. Say that Matt's around here somewhere. Give a, give a, there you are. All right, what, what would you do? You know, Matt's one of these, the managers of, of these guys. And, and so what if a guy comes and says, Hey, man, you, I've been getting all these great boxes of stuff. i got these boxes of state tickets and Carolina tickets that are coming in. Open them up. Man, I'm just getting, you know, things are picking up come around November. All this stuff's coming in. This is great. I love this job. So Matt says, Okay, you're fired. Why? He was receiving the stuff. But FedEx people don't just receive stuff, do they? That's only half the job. The more important job is delivering it out. All right? Do you understand we are like that? That God is giving us, blessing us, and our tendency is, oh, let's open up this box. This is great. But could it be that we're opening up this box and realizing, you know what? 
Maybe the real gift is not this stuff. Maybe the real gift is that I get to be involved in what God is doing and giving it to someone and know the joy of giving and being Christ-like and knowing that grace givings experience so that now I can trust God. And yeah, I found that when I'm challenged in this, and, and, and I, ha- I do, I get challenged in this and I have to get reminders about this because my natural default is to hoard. It's my natural default. And so I have to get reminders in the Word of God. I need to get challenged and break the ice of materialism in my life. And so when, when that happens, and I realize that this is a, a lesson of faith, I'm learning that God always is faithful to provide and teach me. One of the latest ones uh, was uh, a couple weeks ago, I had a, a multi-tool, you know. It has a knife and pliers and all this great stuff. And I had cool serrated knives. I like serrated knives. I like knives. And so these, you know, I, I had it out, and um, I was using it, and some, you know, drew a crowd, um, you know, all these guys were looking at us like, oh, you know. And then one of the host uh, men uh, that was hosting us, taking us out to dinner a couple of times, saw it. He was, he was just like, man, that's pretty nice. And then it came upon me that we needed to give gifts to the host. And I, I didn't have any gifts for the host people. And, and then the thought occurred to me, he really liked my, my multi-tool. He liked my knife. Now, that may not be a big deal for you. But it is me. I like knives. Uh, it's kind of like books. You, you don't give those away. I mean, the goal is to get as many as you can. You know, that's kind of my, my thought, my mentality is like, well, if I give this one, then I, I have one less knife. Yeah. Um, see how absurd this is? But this is me, so. Uh, but then uh, the thought occurred to me, well, what, what is the purpose of the knife? Well, it's to cut stuff, you know. All right, yeah, well, great. Well, I've got knives that do that. But the real reason I have this knife is not just to cut stuff because it does something to me. It satisfies my spirit. It satisfies my soul in some way. And so I'm asking, if I give this away, will that detract from that satisfaction I'm getting from it? No, because I believe in a God. And he's my hope. He is my strength. It's not this knife. It's not the accumulation of knives. And so what if I give this knife away? Then actually I'm going to find that my spirit and soul is satisfied in something even better, even greater. Because ultimately I won't be able to keep this knife anyway. I'll probably lose it someday. You know, um, I'm not going to be able to keep it. And so, bam, I got the joy of giving something that was important to me. And, you know, perhaps he's using it now. Maybe he lost it. I don't know. Um, but I came back. Just trying that little experiment. And a week later, Dad comes back. He's going to another country. And he says, hey, I got this for you. Multi-tool. <laughs> Multi-tool. I think, Dad, yeah, that's great, Dad. You never know the story behind this. And so now when I see that multi-tool, it reminds me of just God's faithfulness that when we give things that are dear, we will never miss them. We will never miss them. And guess what's going to happen next time someone wants a multi-tool and they need it? Hey, you know what? Here's one. I've got others and I have a God who can provide it if I need it. You see, this is just one little story. but It's just one of the latest things that God has just does. Whenever I need this lesson reinforced and I go to God, I have found that God is faithful to provide, to teach me, his generosity and how he wants to work through my generosity. Do you understand, according to Malachi, it is one of the only ideas, one of the only commands and instructions where he dared us to prove him in this. You don't see that anywhere else, but you see it in Malachi where he says, test me. See if I will not provide for you if you will just be generous and believe that God is God and provider of all things and that you don't have to clamor for yourself all this time. So... Grace giving works because of God's 
distribution cycle. That he's able to do this. And so, I believe that all that I have is given by God's grace. My ability to make money, my ability to spend money, my ability to save. All these things, they're at the root, they're all given to me by God. So everything I have, that multi-tool, everything else was given to me by God, which literally it was given as a gift to begin with, that little multi-tool. And it's just absurd that I didn't want to let it go. But it was a gift to begin with. So as everything else has been in my life, uh, the clothes that I wear, they're all gifts to me, given to me ultimately by God. And so when he says, I want you to give that out, give that out. That's been God's grace to us. It's adequate. You give it out. And guess what happens? Well, when you give it out, notice verse 10. He supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. When I am faithful in giving out God's stuff to begin with, God multiplies the stuff he gives me. So that I can be generous. Generous. Not so that I feel good about life because I've got all this stuff. Because life is not about the abundance of things. But it's about being a conduit of God's blessings. Do you get that? Now, if you're going into this and thinking, okay, well, pastor said if I give this, then God's going to give me money. $10, let's see how it works. Well, that's great if you're a stagnant pond. It's all about yourself. But if you... Want to walk in a way that you can walk in good works to the glory of God, then watch what God will do. But if it's all about yourself, that's the problem to begin with, materialism, and you're not honoring God. Now, let's keep on reading here. Um, verse 9, he, he quotes as is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, and his righteousness endures forever. At this point, uh, he's quoting from Psalm 112. And then uh, he says, this is what righteousness is. This is, this is righteousness. Uh, grace giving works because God's power to provide uh, in this distribution cycle. But uh, we keep on going here. And he says something else. Um, verse 11. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. Which through us will produce thanksgiving. To God. Grace giving works because it produces thanksgiving. This is, I think, probably the last time I'll be able to talk with you before Thanksgiving. Uh, we've got some other people lined up. The whole idea that we've got Thanksgiving. Yeah, I was able to, ever in East Asia, talk about that because that was what they're studying. And it just, you know what it did? It allowed me to talk about the grace of God. As we as a nation, as we as a people have understood that God has given us grace, therefore it is upon us to give thanks. So let me tell you how to have good thanksgivings. Be good at grace giving. Be good at grace giving. And you'll be good at thanksgiving. As I see more and more what God has done, it produces within me thanks. And as I take the things that God has given it and, and circulate it for the kingdom, give it out, um, I'll find that it produces more thanks. Not only by the recipients, but by me. God, thank you for teaching me what the real meaning behind that multi-tool was. It wasn't just to cut stuff and use pliers. The real purpose of that was to teach me a lesson of how a joy it is to be upon God's jobs, God's work. 
And that was the greater lesson. Thank you, God, for teaching me that. And God, thank you for showing me your faithfulness and just in simple, small things to teach me lessons that, you know, if I give something, I will never miss it. I will never miss it. Here's what I want to challenge you. I want you to ask yourself, what does having this item do to my heart? What does it do to my heart by having this item? Is it something that takes me away from loving God? Is it something that I find that I treasure more than God? Let me ask you, are you willing to give it up? Are you willing to give it up? Chances are what you're not willing to give up, you don't own. It owns you. It owns you. It's got its tentacles in your heart. And your hopes set on it. Your joys set on an in a perishable item. And you're walking the fool's way. So I want to challenge this. If I gave it away, what would it do to my heart? If I gave it away, what would it do to my heart? Would it set my heart toward things of God? Or would it make me bitter toward God? And if it's bitter, why? What do you believe about God? It all comes down to, at the end, when it's all said and done, what do we believe about God? Now, um, you've got the budget. You'll be looking at the budget. Um, I encourage you to do it. I encourage you to pray about it, think about it. Um, there's some big changes in it. Um, Seems alarming when you realize, well, we've asked for $780,000 looking at that through various ministries, people pulling that together. But the reality is that what, 540 was um, what we project the income being uh, for this year. So you're thinking, wow, my goodness. <laughs> um, but the question, a good question was asked us, what have we not done? Because we felt, you know, what, what was it that we robbed out of following God because of that? And, I, you know, upon that question, we could say, Nothing. Nothing. Nothing has been robbed of us following the Lord in. So when we look at this 780,000 mount that the budget's not stating down, but individuals have, members have, ministers have, um, we ask us simply say, the Lord wants us to walk in those good works. If he wants us to walk in those good works, he will have all grace abound so that we will be sufficient in all these things. And that's what we hold on to. Get that? The, the budget, whether it's in your married life or your family life or your personal life or in church life, it is not God. It is a tool. It is a goal. But it is a tool that serves God and serves you. You get that? That's important for some of us who like to hold everything, buy every penny. Um, the budget is a tool, not our master. God is. God is the one who pays the salary, pays the income, does that, ultimately. All right? The goal, the budget should reflect faith. It should reflect faith. We're trusting God in some of this to happen. And it should ultimately be the consensus of people of faith. The consensus of people of faith. So I'm just going to ask you to consider that as we look at the budget in times to come. Um, 
Some of this may be boring to you because you talk about budgets and that's the last thing you want to talk about. But it reflects our heart. And that's not boring. It is about our worship for the Lord. So, I just challenge you. Considering this, when you look at how you spent your money, if you really want to do some self-reflective introspection and go home... You and your spouse get out your checkbook or go online and see where you spent your money. And then say, what does this say about God? What do we believe about Him? Or what do we not believe about Him? That's tough. That's a challenge. But it's getting to the truth of things. It's getting to the truth. And so I just want to challenge you. I think it's a, it's a shame that we have in our society the main advocates for giving being people like Warren Buffett, Bill Gates, and Angelina Jolie. When they talk about the virtues of giving. How come they are and we're not? That's the question. How come they are and we are not? Now I just want to caution you. I'm not talking about poverty gospel or prosperity gospel. You know what those are? You're not a real believer unless you're prosperous, unless you're, you've got wealth coming in and you're healthy. Or, poverty gospel, you're not a real follower of Christ unless you sold everything you're at, you have, and you're poor. And if you're rich, then you're walking in disobedience. What I'm talking about is a generosity gospel. Where God, who was rich, made himself poor, that we might be rich. To know and walk with him. And that is a joy to walk in. We're generous because of Jesus. And so if we're not generous, the, the key is not to see how much more we can give, but the key is to see how much more we can embrace who Christ is and value him. Let's pray.